Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, The Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. The news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who've been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt hosts Evansville in baseball on Tuesday. That game 4:30 at Hawkins Field. Jack Leiter the likely starter in that one. Our guest line presented to you by Bowling Branch, which was started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tan and had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets were until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins me. He is, he is the, the what are we calling you these days at the athletic? Same time, same same title when you asked me last time I was on here, Chris. I know, Ma- I know. Managing editor of the Athletic Nashville and the Athletic Ten- uh, Athletic Memphis. So maybe jot down a little note, a little sticky note, put it on your desk. This feels like talking to my wife. <laughs> well, maybe you make the same mistakes over and over with your wife too. I think you're on to something there. But <laughs> Um, I've spoken to her about this, or I've never spoken to her. I think I've met her, so just wanted we're not. I'm not conspiring. Yeah, I was gonna say, as far as she knows, we never had this conversation. Yep. So <laughs> let's have a conversation about sports. I guess we could start with basketball. Man, that was one heck of a basketball game we saw. Didn't turn out Vanderbilt's way, but that was one crazily entertaining game. And frankly, I did not suspect. I'd see a game that was as intriguing as that one was when I walked in the gym. What was it? Saturday night. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to, to steal an old Kevin Stallings phrase, you know, and he, he would only say this after a win, you know, but he said, you know, that that was a really good college basketball game. You know, and he, he'd always say, I'd like to think I'd say the same thing if we lost. Uh, but he never seemed to say that. But um you know, yeah, it was very entertaining. And I, you know, we can talk about the ending, obviously devastating. So many things had to go wrong for Vanderbilt. But I was so impressed by the way Vanderbilt played. Like the LSU game, I thought, see if you agree, I that was Vanderbilt's best game of the year, the LSU game. But to me, you watched a Vanderbilt team that day that just, you got an unbelievable performance from Max Evans. It looked like a team that played way over its head. I thought on Saturday, Vanderbilt just played a really good basketball game. Um, and, and you weren't looking like, wow, this is just a mirage. They're just, cause they didn't, you know, they shot three from a for a nice percentage, seven for 15, but it wasn't just like they were bombing threes like against LSU. And I, I thought Saban Lee had one of the best performances in a long time for a Vanderbilt player. I, you know, I, I'm sure Aaron Neesmith had great shooting games this year, but to score 34 points on 17 field goal attempts with no threes is, is very, very difficult. And I thought Vanderbilt had a great game plan defensively. I uh, loved what they did. You know, Anthony Edwards got his, but I, I thought they they did a good job denying him opportunities. I thought Vanderbilt, you know, late in the game, up until the 22nd mark, I thought their offensive possessions were great. So many times you see 
teams just dribble out there, wait for the shot clock to go down. And Vanderbilt did that, but they had nice plays drawn up. The alley-oop dunk to Saban Lee. Then I think in the previous possession or maybe a few more, they just ran, stack called a late. I don't know if it was part, you know, if it was a late call or it was the play all along where uh, I'd have to go over it again. But I think, you know, uh, Scotty Pippen just drove down and got a layup. So I thought Vanderbilt just played really, really well. And I, I don't think it was Tom Crean. And I, J- Jerry Meyer pointed this out on Twitter. And I thought the th- same thing watching the game. Tom Crean's defensive in, inability to switch up their defenses then in the first half when Vanderbilt had Saban Lee on the court and three of the four walk-ons who aren't threats offensively. Like um, Braley Albert, as we've seen, can score. I mean, he can hit an open three. The other three walk-ons, including Drew Weikert, who had played one minute, are no threats at all. And he guarded Saban Lee man-to-man. Like, I don't know how they – and the other player in that on the floor was Eduke Obena. You had literally one offensive threat on the floor, and Saban Lee probably scored six points during that stretch. So uh, if I'm a Georgia fan, I thought that was criminal – that, that Tom Crean didn't adjust defensively to what Vanderbilt had on the court there. So that's kind of my long, you know, winded take of the first 39 minutes and 40 seconds, I guess. Yeah. Um, that was just a bizarre world. Second half of the first half. <laughs> then you look yeah. up and it's just Saban Lee and like, Drew Weikert comes in. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. You know, like I knew he was – I'd forgotten he was on the roster. I mean, I yeah, wrote – they had – It was the worst – and I don't mean this in a bad way, just a fact. It was like the worst offensive lineup that you could possibly field at Vanderbilt in the time that I've watched them play. I mean, you had three walk-ons who are just literally not threats, and then you have the one off one scholarship player on the team who's probably the least offensive threat in, in Educao Bennett. It was wild. And I think Vanderbilt probably extended the lead. Yeah, I mean, Drew Weikert gets a steal to end the first half and lays it in. And, I mean, I had written the same thing. Uh, after Like, he was probably, at one point, surrounded by the worst surrounding cast that's ever taken the floor in a Southeastern Conference game. Could be. I mean, there's, there was one year where Vanderbilt lost uh, early in the Kevin Stong zero to a Georgia team that had like two or three walk-ons starting one game. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, I mean, obviously you can't prove anything like that, but uh, yeah. And uh, again, that's, I, I point to how, how does Georgia let that happen? How does Georgia let them score? Saban Lee penetrate there. You know, you, you double, triple team Lee. There's, there's so many ways you can do it. They, they see, I'd have to go back and watch, but they seemingly just played it straight up. I think I remember the game you're talking about for Georgia because I think I actually went to Stegeman to cover that game. Was yeah, it like re- maybe 04, 05, somewhere in there? I think maybe yeah. a Dennis Felton team? Because two, it wasn't 04 because that's when uh, they made the tournament. It might have been 04, 05 because I remember trading text with Brad Frederick after the game and he was just like just flabbergasted how poorly they played. It was one of those where they just kind of – we're struggling on the road, probably showed up, figured they they had it locked up because Georgia was just really bad that year. And I think some walk-on hit a bunch of threes for Georgia. But, you know, uh, I'd have to go back and look it up. Yeah, and I think, was it the guy's name like Kevin Brophy? He scored like 17 points. I think he died several years ago in like I an accident or right something. I think you're right on both counts. Yeah, I mean, I I would not remember that unless I'd gone to Stegman, which was a very depressing atmosphere at the time. It was just gray I mean, yeah. and drab. Been a many times. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I thought Scottie Pippen was really good in that game, too. I mean, I thought Scottie Pippen, a lot of his second half, he was right there with Saban Lee in terms of how well he was playing. Yeah, hit some big shots. And that's why it's a shame that he had missed those free throws. And, and uh, you know, I, I this is going to sound like I'm watching – I'm from – black and gold sunglasses or glasses. And that's obviously the, the perspective I watch the game from, but you, you can see a lot of close games where, you know, team a or team B deserves to win. I, I can honestly say Vanderbilt deserved to win that game. It's not like you, and this is something else that Jerry Meyer pointed out. And I went back and watched, go back and watch Georgia's lack of effort rebounding Vanderbilt's missed free throws. The one, the last one of the game, the, the dudes just stood there on the, on the Braley Albert, uh, bad call out of bounds play, which we haven't talked about yet. The Georgia dude just stood there, didn't box anyone out. On the game-winning play, you, Vanderbilt got in there and knocked the uh, could have had a good chance for an offensive rebound due to lack of hustle for Georgia, and the ball just went to the Georgia guy, and he weaved in and out and hit a you know a running 35 footer. So I know there's there's luck involved in sports, and and Georgia was very lucky to win that game, obviously for a lot of reasons. With the you know got fortunate with the call there, but. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I felt bad for Scottie Pippen, obviously. You know, and Saban Lee goes 10 of 11 from the line and, and misses that one. Scottie Pippen had been, what, he was three for six, so had been three for five, four at that point. So just, uh, you know, uh, crushing loss, obviously, the way the way it ended. I just felt bad for the, the players. You know, guy like Saban Lee has just been busting it all year and had a great season, and Scottie and those guys, you know, they, they, they played really well. Well – I'm looking at the box score they give us. They've given us an expanded one this year, and there's some stuff in there that didn't used to be in there in years past. Saban Lou drew 11 fouls in that game. I think he's had a game with maybe more than that, but it just goes to show you what an incredible offensive force he is. Uh, by contrast, Anthony Edwards, who's Georgia's best player, drew four. And he's. I thought Edwards, uh, you commend him for this, but I think he's almost a little too passive offensively. I thought, you know, Vanderbilt put Max Evans on him again. I think they had a good game plan for him. And he took one bad shot, in my opinion, and he hit it. It was the three coming on the first half on the out of bounds play uh, on the, 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 the side of the student section, right in front of like where Joe Fisher sits. And he caught it and just jumped up and, and nailed it. When when you're that good on a team like that, I think you can live with some more bad shots from your best player. That dunk he threw down in the first half over Braley Albert, that was on the end of the floor where I was. That was just unbelievable. He's, a, I mean, he's. You can see why he's an NBA athlete. He's an NBA prospect. In fact, he's he is uh, physically. Would you? Say, I think him and Aaron Neesmith look similar. Neesmith is a better shooter. Uh, um, Edwards is a more explosive athlete, although, uh, although, you know, um, Aaron's a good athlete too, but that you can, you can just tell he, he looks like an NBA body, has an NBA body, NBA player. He played 39 minutes and 10 seconds and, you know, he took 16 shots, which was the most on their team. But I, again, I partially credit him and then partially fault him for not being a little more aggressive. Speaking of dunks. That one that Saban Lee threw down with about four and a half minutes left, that was also on my end off the feed from Pippen. Oh, that was a pretty special play, too. I saw, uh, you know, I don't know, I've told you, we sit um, up in 3A, row one, and I we had a perfect angle, and I was sitting next to my son, and I saw the whole play develop. I was like, watch this, watch this, watch this, and then, you know, and uh, sometimes you can't tell from that high up how good the pass is, um, but uh, good delivery and a good dunk, and that's kind of one of those plays I uh, – 
I mentioned earlier where I thought Stackhouse did a great job where, where they, they, they worked time off the shot clock yet still got a good shot. So, and I think that's why you saw Stackhouse, how devastated everyone was. You, you're, you're, you're obviously devastated in a loss like that. I just think it was so frustrating from a Vanderbilt standpoint because they, they played so well. They did everything that they, the preparation was great, everything about it. Uh, now that you could fault some of the late, very late game stuff, letting Wheeler go coast to coast. Uh, I think people, I've not rewatched that, but a lot of people kind of say DeSue might've been worried because he had four fouls and didn't be, wasn't aggressive enough. But I mean, at that point of the game, you're four foul. I don't care who you are. You're getting a stop is more important than preserving, you know, a foul with 15 seconds to go and fouling out of the game. That was really the, the only strategical thing I can find fault with. Sure. They, they could have used a, a foul to give at times too, uh, you know, not that, that, that exact possession, but that, that's not as, you know, you just can't let someone go coast to coast and only take four or five seconds. That, that's really the only thing I can find fault with. I watched the replay. He almost lost the ball on that too. I did not realize yeah, he's that got live. a wide dribbler. He, he's kind of all over the place. And, uh, um, yeah. So, you know, it was just, again, uh, so many, so many things had to go wrong for Vanderbilt. And, you know, I just, another angle, another, product of where we sit is we were right on the baseline there above it. And I could see live that there was no way that Braley Albert went out of bounds and, you know, just, um, what's his face. I'm drawing a blank on the, the referees. Oh, uh, was it Anthony Jordan? No, Pat no, Adams, Pat Adams, Pat Adams just thought he saw something through his peripheral vision. And you can't think you see something at that stage of the game. So, um, you know, just just obviously an unfortunate break that did not go Vanderbilt's way. I don't think it was peripheral vision. I mean, from what I saw, it looked like he was looking right at it. All the it, pictures well, I saw I'm later. I'm going to benefit of the doubt thing because if he's looking right at it, in, in basketball terms, he was not close to stepping out of bounds. I mean, you can say, yeah, it was two or three inches. That's close. But as far as in sports being on the line or not on the line, that really wasn't close. Yeah, you don't call, I think, in that spot. Exactly. You don't exactly. really call it in any spot. Um but anyway, now, I'm not sure this is the case there, but and I keep quoting Kevin Stallings and Kevin Stallings used to have a funny phrase and, he, you know, it, it, it made sense. He said the problem with officials is and I've said this on the podcast before is, is that they're human. And his point was like in the back of their mind. And I'm not saying this necessarily applied to that, but when a Kentucky guy and a Eastern Kentucky guy or a Vanderbilt guy, for that matter, are going for a rebound in the back of their mind, it's like the Kentucky guy's bigger, stronger, faster he should be getting that rebound or he should be blocking that shot. And that was kind of his point there. Sometimes referees, maybe it happens in college football too, make assumptions, not, not overtly, but they just think they see, think they see something. And I, I, I would love to, to hear what he thought about that and, you know, and give him some truth serum and say, you know, how, how could you make that call there? So, but it, it, it happened. Speaking of Kevin Sollings, let's talk about that name in a minute for reasons I'm sure you can anticipate, but one thing that jumped off the box score, Vanderbilt only had 20 rebounds. It is not often you see a team with that few rebounds in a game. Yeah, that was another – they got uh, – Stack mentioned this postgame too or in the radio interview. Vanderbilt's first shot defense was really good. Georgia stayed in the game for a stretch there in the first half. I believe it's the first half. No, I think it was the second half, just getting follows. And some of that was – and again, I'm not trying to just overly praise Vanderbilt. Their first shot was, def was defense was good, forcing bad shots, and there were some weird rebounds on missed threes um, there. And just and some of it was just Georgia. You know, is I'm looking at Hammonds. Uh, Rashawn Hammonds only had four rebounds. It was sort of by by committee. There weren't a lot. You know what? 
when both teams shoot over 50%, there's not a ton of rebounds to be had. I mean, Vanderbilt was 24-47, which is phenomenal shooting, and Georgia was 30 for 56. I, I can't remember an SEC game. I mean, I'm sure I, could, I don't look at every SEC box score. It's not too often when you find a conference game this late in the season where both teams shoot over 50% from the field. Yeah, and actually Vanderbilt was – 27 to 47, which is probably what you meant to say. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure what I said. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, look, I look down at one point with about four minutes left, and Vanderbilt has 13 rebounds. I was like, what? Yeah, that's because Georgia did a, you know, Georgia Georgia only had 20 defensive rebounds. They had 10 offensive rebounds. So, you know, they missed 26 shots, and they got rebounds on 10 of their 26 misses. That's pretty good. And it just it's a product of some 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 bad misses in the product are just being you know more athletic obviously uh on the front line yeah Vanderbilt had four offensive rebounds and one of them was by Braley Albert yeah well that was which went for naught so which went for naught so that one shouldn't count in the count there so uh Kevin Stallings yeah I mean, now on one hand like I think if you wanted to find a violation in any coach's program anywhere you could find it agreed Yes, and and what he and I'll just jump on this. What he was, you know, it's sort of like the Bruce Pearl situation. It's not necessarily the crime, although I don't. I, there, there's other things Bruce Pearl did at Tennessee. So people would say, oh, it was just on a, a picnic or a barbecue. There were other things. Trust me, there. Um, it wasn't necessarily the fact that they had, um, you know, extra uh, non-coaches coaching at practice, which probably, again, probably every program does. It was the fact that they scrubbed the tape and didn't cooperate. And I guess Kevin Stallings is like, I'm not coaching anymore. So why should I even cooperate? But for a guy that liked to, you know, play by the rules. And I believe he played by the rules at Vanderbilt for the most part, I believe, you know, he's a, you know, an honest coach and all that stuff. But for him to, to get slapped with this at the end of his, when, when his career is over is ironic, whatever word you want to use, but uh, the, the crime doesn't sound that bad. It was just the, the, the cover up and, and the lack of cooperation probably. Well, the whole thing to me is just amusing, and I don't mean that towards anybody personally in the story because it's just, it's like, really? This is where we are? We've got wiretaps of like we'll, we'll paid wait and, coaching this yes. weekend. Kevin Stallings is a three-year show cause. Like somebody spent time and effort on giving Kevin Stallings a show cause, even though I don't think either of us believe Kevin Stallings will ever coach a game again unless it's maybe it's his grandson's right. – you know, <laughs> Right. Six-year-old team one day. Exactly. Uh, it just is comical. But anything else with basketball before we hit baseball? Um, not really. You know, I not really. I mean, uh, uh, again, just said many times I thought they, you know, again, Vanderbilt played really well. It was an entertaining college basketball game and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate ending. It was funny. I was uh, – doing something yes last night with my son and I don't know what came how this came up but because when I was in school it was the Steve Grant three to beat Georgia uh at the buzzer oh we were talking about Jim Valvano because there was a promo for Jim Valvano uh show uh his 30 for 30 on ESPN or something like that and he asked something about how long Valvano how how, how long was it till after he retired did he die and all that stuff and I was just, hey I remember he he broadcast the Vanderbilt Georgia game when Grant hit the three at the buzzer. So I was calling up the clip on, on YouTube and I showed it to him. He's like, ah, another Vanderbilt, Georgia buzzer beater. And there's also, I think there's been four since I've been watching Vanderbilt basketball Two, two. Jody Patton, when I was in college, 
hit a three from the corner to beat Georgia down in Athens, I think my junior year at 91-92. And then was it Kevin Bright in his only year at Vanderbilt, about, you know, under the tail end of the Kevin Stallings era, I think hit a, hit a like a baseline jumper to beat Vanderbilt. So there's been four that I can remember in this in this series. I remember the Kevin Bright game. I'd forgotten that was Georgia. That was – he hit one from the baseline – with his back towards where Joe Fisher and Tim Thompson sit on the floor down there. got a very friendly role, I believe. Yeah. Kevin Bright, that's one that really – I would have loved to have seen how that played out because he was a really good player. And I think, from what I was told at the time, his mom was just like really missed him. She lived in Germany. It was like – I think she was sick too. Yeah, and it was like every day, Kevin, come home. Kevin, come home. And, I mean, who can – resist that I guess so that was one of those that you're like man if circumstances in life are a little different then I wonder how that would have played out at Vandy because he was a really good player as a freshman yeah he was he was all you know kind of one of those stat stuffers guy could do a little bit of everything so then yeah I'm I'm googling Jody Patton buzzer beater I doubt that I don't even think the game was on tv I was listening on the radio in my dorm I think um but uh, hit, hit a baseline Hit a baseline jumper over Bruce Elder. I remember talking to Bruce Elder about it at this afterwards, uh, and he said, "Yep, had a hand in his face." So, uh, but uh, so it goes. I neither remember that game nor do I remember Jody Patton. Don't remember Jody Patton. Wow, lack of respect. Do you remember Reggie Tinch by by chance? Oh yeah, I remember Reggie Tinch. Okay, he. Uh, I remember he had one of the most vicious dunks ever on John Amici. I think it was John Amici's last moment as a Vanderbilt Commodore. I don't think he played the rest of the year. Georgia had some athletes in the 80s and 90s. Oh, some, yeah, serious athletes, yeah. Serious I just, athletes. Yeah, I, remember, I remember yelling at Reggie Tench from the student section, and yeah, he was he was quite the ferocious dunker. Do you remember, this would I think be before your time, Marshall Wilson was going to throw down a dunk that was going to beat Vandy. I think it was a breakaway, and it was free, and he clanked it off the back of the rim. And I think Barry Booker got the rebound and threw it to Goheen, and then he did the going for the layup, take the abrupt left turn to the corner, and hit the three at the buzzer. That was another that crazy was the Vandy, year Georgia before I That was my – that must have been 88-89. It was the year before my freshman year. Yeah, I remember well, watching I know, I know that one play. on TV live. Yeah, I know the play, but uh, yeah, so uh, – yeah, so Georgia, you know, Georgia always had good players. Didn't always have a great team. Although my freshman year, they won the league because Kentucky was uh, Kentucky was ineligible. Georgia was the one seed. Vanderbilt was the nine or eight or nine seed because again, there's ten teams in the league, and Kentucky was not eligible. Vanderbilt beats Florida in an eight-nine game in Orlando, then beats number one seed Georgia, and then beat. And then got then maybe beat Ole Miss to get to the sem, to the championship game or lost Ole Miss in the championship game might have gotten to the, either the semis or the championship game uh, of the SEC tournament that year. Yeah, boy, this is so much of this is starting to fade from memory. It's crazy. Um, you're you're I, getting old, Chris. I'm evidently <laughs> not getting old. No, no, you're not. Even though we're like the same age, it's funny how that yes. works. Um, I must be like you must be in a black hole or something. But I guess um, so. Uh, let's talk baseball. Sure. I'm thinking there's a lot more to be encouraged by than not at this point. Sure. Um, I mean, the pitching is probably better than we thought. I mean, showing the potential to have more depth than we thought. And the hitting, I'm still, you know, I think there's still a wait-and-see approach with the hitting uh, against quality 
pitching. But, you know, when you put Ty Duvall back in the lineup and then if Dominic Keegan can provide the type of bat they think he will, that really that really bolsters what was looking like, you know, potential after the weekend, potential trouble area is, is hitting. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go to the pitching real quick. Obviously, I, I was there Tuesday for Al Leiter uh, and he was, you know, anyone who saw the saw the score, obviously he was he was terrific and. Um, I, South Alabama is supposed to be pretty good. I know they're off to a rough start, but I don't care who you're playing. He was, he was really, really good there. Um, so, you know, it's looking at, um, the, the stat lines here and, you know, some of the, some of these right-handed pitching, you know, Ethan Smith, Loboki, Thomas Schultz, Jack Leiter, uh, obviously Hickman and Rocker, the, the batting averages against and the strikeout numbers have been incredible. Really, you know, Tyler Brown, uh, bounced back yesterday for two innings was pretty sharp, gave up a couple hard hit balls. I want to say Eater's and I'm bouncing around here. I thought Eater was great yesterday, not just his numbers. I mean, you, you can have a good performance, give up one or two hits, but get, you know, a lot of hard hit balls or a few hard hit balls hit, hit, hit right at people. I was at the game. They had one hard hit ball under, under Eater against Eater. And it was the home run. He, I think he walked a guy that gave up a two-run homer. Literally, that was the only ball that was remotely hard hit. So I thought that was an encouraging progress because he threw strikes for the most part. So, um, yeah, I mean, the lineup is not – obviously is not going to be what it was last year. This team's going to have to win games, you know, 5-2 and 4-3 and stuff like that. But I think with the pitching, they're, they're definitely capable of doing so. Yeah, they gave up – well, he gave up – the preceding the home run was – an infield single, and I believe from memory he gave up four hits and three were infield singles, and then yes, one was that bomb hard, left. They, they weren't hard hit. Sometimes they could be hard hit. A guy knocks it down. They were just perfectly placed. Um, so yeah, that's you know, obviously there's a lot of ways to judge a pitcher, but uh, with my inexact, you know, I'm not an expert on you know, you know, pitches and location, all that stuff. I can watch, but just like. Did someone hit the ball hard against you? Yes or no? And yesterday the case was definitely no against Jake Eater. Yeah, I keep a scorecard. If I'm watching a game either there or able to watch most of it on TV, I will keep a scorecard. I keep it for that reason. I like to go back and look at ground ball outs and fly ball outs. And if there's a lot of L's on the scorecard, then that's when you start saying, well, maybe the performance wasn't quite what you thought it was based on the numbers. But I don't think there was an L on that scorecard anyway, L indicating line drive out. Yeah, totally. And, you know, uh, Tyler Brown maybe gave up two hard hit balls, um, I believe. Maybe just one, the, the play that um, – He gave up two. I, he gave up the one that was almost the home run, and he gave up one to center. And I think that kid will come around. But I think at this point uh, there was a – there's a fool me aspect with him that's missing a little bit. It's not alarming at all. I mean, the only thing that would concern me about Tyler Brown – is if there's a lingering arm issue from last year, but I don't think we're seeing that in the velo, which I think is one place we'd see it if it was an issue. I think this is just a, a kid who some kids, like you saw this with uh, Rocker last year, some guys just take a little longer to round into form, and I bet that's the case with him. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so for 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 his sake and their sake, because um, you know the the. And I, again, I'm not a pitching expert by any stretch, but the weird thing is that almost most of the hard hit balls against him have been on two strikes. So it's just inability to, he's looked good, but inability to finish guys off. And I, the, the ball to Thomas yesterday was on an 0-2 count. I, the home run against Michigan might have been on a one-strike pitch, but uh, for the most part, he's getting out, he's getting ahead in the counts and then getting hit hard, which is kind of 
the opposite of what you'd expect. Um, staff numbers here. Not often you see this eight games in 104 strikeouts and 25 walks. Yes, and that's the encouraging thing for Vanderbilt staff that traditionally has great great arms, but sometimes has guys who can't find the zone. And, you know, Luke Murphy, who I think at time will be a good pitcher coming off the, you know, Tommy John surgery, has six walks in two-thirds of an inning. And, you know, so he has almost 25% of the walks, and he hasn't even pitched a full inning. So, you know, some of those freshman arms or some of those right-handed arms I mentioned earlier, Ethan Smith, no walks, seven innings. Laboki, no walks, five and two-thirds. Schultz, no walks, five and a third. One walk for Leiter in five innings. Doolin, one walk in four innings. Those are, that's impressive numbers right there. Well, here's another one, or here's actually two or three more. They've only hit two batsmen so far this season. That's really Ooh, bat, hard to do. I like do. that, batsmen. Sounds like an old-timey word. I think it is. We're, you know, one of us is aging, one of us is not. Yeah, but, exactly. I call um, them bats. You call them batsmen. Hit batsmen, whatever they are. Hit <laughs> Dudes that got hit by a pitch, how's that? Yes, okay. That's hard to abbreviate, but and they've given up seven doubles, no triples, and one, or excuse me, two home runs. Yep. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we thought the pitching would be good. Didn't know the depth and right now. You know who we have not seen yet? And I mean, I don't know how big of a role they're gonna have for him, but I thought Chance Huff would, would have gotten out there by now. I don't know if there's an injury issue. I think he's been warming up for a game. Uh, was warming up at a time, but have not seen him yet. No, I was thinking the same thing. I think he is the only guy. Well, no, he and uh, who's the kid from Florida? Keenan, Ryan Keenan, has okay. not pitched yet. I think Keenan is recovering from an injury, so that may have something to do with it. Uh, but one, and I didn't get to see him pitch, and man, I wish I did. Eric Kaiser has thrown a scoreless inning, struck out two, walked one. He's got a pitch that was described to me, I think, as a knuckle change. I don't remember what it was, but it was a hybrid pitch I'd never heard of. And I kind of want to just see that to see what in the world that looks like. Yeah, I think I was listening when he was, maybe it was on Friday night, did he pitch, I think. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, he's, I think he went through one or two innings last year. So, uh, uh, you know, wonder how big his role will be this year. Well, and back to Eater, man, I mean, this is – it's crazy the choices they have because I think they could easily start Ethan Smith, obviously. They could easy, easily start Jack Leiter on the weekend, obviously. Um, Schultz, to me, looks like he could probably handle – Laboki looks like he could handle it for sure. Michael Doolin was a guy they talked about as a starter – uh, you know, they, they mentioned Tyler Brown as a starter before the season, just in the right. throw stuff out there and let's think about the options phase. I do wonder, even if Eater throws really well, the one hole on this pitching staff is a bullpen lefty. Yes. And I, I'm i just speculating here because we're just talking baseball, but like if if Tyler Brown struggles for another week or two, would they consider – moving him to the rotation to, to see if it's, you know, if it's better there, you know, uh, I, I'm with you. Like that was my, that's why I thought Smith would be the, the Sunday starter to get that lefty out of the pen there. Um, so, you know, that's an option with Brown. I doubt they would do that, but you know, that might be an opera, might be a, a possibility. And one thing, you know, I think you, you brought this up in a podcast you did with Aaron fit when you, especially later in the year when there's not, there's only one, one midweek game. I guess they try to schedule most of the 
the two midweek games earlier in the year. Um, but most, you know, I think once they start SEC, there's usually only one. When you're getting good starting pitching, I mean, this is obvious just if you do the math, but when you're getting good starting pitching, you're going deeper into games. It's a lot easier to fill those innings with really quality arms. And that, that, that scenario, those are the scenarios I'm seeing for this team in SEC play where there's not many opportunities where you're, you, there's not going to be many situations when you're really going to have to put guys in that you don't trust. You know, there's not going to be hopefully not too many starts where a guy goes three and a third and then you got to get, you know, five plus out of your bullpen. I think they're going to be in situations where they're going to be, you know, have a lot of really good arms in key situations. Well, the other thing I like about that, and now part of this is because their hitting is not what it was, and it's not going to be. I mean, the right. lineup last year was historically great, and you can't hold that up as a bar to comparison, especially at this point with so many of these kids so young. But the games are fast, Mitch. I mean, what they played oh, two or yes. three last week in two and a half hours, that's great. Yeah, I, I went I was a little late to Saturday's game. But figuring we'd either have to leave the game early to go to the basketball game or, you know, I, that wasn't the case. I had plenty of time in between games. And then yesterday, uh, game started at one. I was home by five, by four. You know, it's, it's – I think all of us like baseball, but we'd rather watch two hours and 45 minutes of baseball than four hours of baseball. Yeah, I mean, if it's the same quality in the same period of time, then absolutely we would. Uh, let's talk offense a minute. One thing that's sticking out to me a little bit is – the bunt game, I may write about this a little later in the week, but Carter Young and especially Cooper Davis, the turf plays differently. It's not as fast. Davis has particularly figured out how to drag a ball down first and get it just hard enough to go after, go past the pitcher, uh, but just slow enough to where the second baseman's got to charge and make a tough play, and he's getting on time and time and time again like that. Yes, and he did it once against a lefty pitcher who obviously falls off the mound the opposite way. He has he's eleven for thirty-two this year. I would guess six of them are bunts. Would you guess that much? I think that's probably fair. Yeah. So, and Carter Young, the 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 uh, the whole knock on him was would he hit enough to stay in the lineup? And I realized, you know, the pitching <clears throat> they're not playing elite teams right now, especially this past five games, but. He was fortunate, I think, on a scoring play where they that triple they called a uh, a hit, which could have been an error, but he hit a line drive to the left field. So that's, you know, it's a hard hit ball. And then he just missed a home run yesterday, but then followed that up with a hard single up the middle, and then he had a line drive to right. So, so far, I mean, he's hitting 310, and he's hitting the ball hard. So that's that's been a pleasant surprise right there. Yeah, I was going to mention that next. I think the most encouraging thing was – the ball that he hit for a that would have been a home run was fouled by, I guess, a couple of feet. It wasn't fouled by a lot, but it shows the ability to get the bat around on the ball and hit it a long way. And that was one of those that, like, sometimes that left field wall is tricky. Uh, if you just hit a moonshot with a lot of arc on it, it can barely clear the wall. And it's, you know, in a lot of other parks, it might be a an out in front of the warning track. The one that Carter Young hit on Sunday, I think, would have been a home run anywhere if it's fair. Yeah, yeah, he crushed it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if that will hold up. And, you know, I don't know what the, you know, Ki that was kind of the Connor, si Connor Kaiser, not Kaiser Sose. I don't know, Kaiser Sose seems more like an outfielder to me than a middle infielder. <laughs> yeah, it seems it's like a utility infielder. Yeah, you can, you can do a little bit of all, a little bit of everything. Connor Kaiser, that was not, you know, could they, you, you know, afford to keep his bat in the line? Now, I think Kaiser is a, a better defensive player, you know, just was one of the best they've had at that position. And he eventually hit 
as a junior. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the barometer is or what the, what the level for Carter Young is on a, on a lineup that isn't going to be as good as those lineups that, that Connor Kaiser was in, but obviously so far so good he is passing the test. Yeah, well, the thing that's got to change, he's got nine strikeouts and no walks, and that's one thing I want to see where he develops as a hitter. Yes. But I'll tell you who's the opposite of that at is Justin Henry Malloy. And that kid, I just had questions like, would he take the leap? And look, he's hitting 231, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But the kid's got a four, excuse me, a 545 on base percentage in six games, and he's patient. He's not pressing. He's not taking bad hacks. Um, he's hit the ball hard a little bit here and there. He's got a double. That's one that I'm really watching because he's playing everless ball at first. I don't know if anything's been spectacular, but defense at first was a huge concern coming out of the weekend, and his bat was kind of a concern, but at least he is finding value in getting on base, and if he continues to do that, he'll keep that role. Yeah, be interesting to see what happens when Dominic Keegan comes back. Who guy? I know they want to get his bat in the lineup. Malloy, I guess, can play some third. I didn't see it. I think I was listening to the game the other day when I was picking up my son from baseball. Max was uh, Hertz was on the call. I think in the first inning, so it was still you know a big play. Vanderbilt obviously won the game handily, but I think he had a, a big scoop on a Carter Young throw that with two outs and runners on second and third, where if he doesn't make the scoop, two runs score. So I was listening. I don't know how difficult it was, but I'm with you too. I've not seen him personally have to make a difficult play at first, but. Uh, um, that'll be something to see what, what happens there with, you know, and, you know, they, they put Will Duff in the lineup yesterday. I'm sure they just wanted to get him some at bats. He hit the ball hard, got a nice uh, sort of a bloop single, but then a hard hit ball. And, you know, you had to sit CJ Rodriguez to get him in the lineup. He's a the guy they want in the game there. So, so the, there are some, you know, there are some options on offense. I think with Keegan, it might have sort of the Steven Scott effect, and this is what I mean by this, okay? Because you saw Scott play catcher some. You saw him play a lot in the left. I think he might have even gotten a few starts at first. Keegan was the guy they wanted at first. And, of course, he wasn't able to start the season there, hasn't played yet, as you said, maybe coming back this coming week. But he also, from my understanding – uh, was maybe their number three catcher. And you don't want C.J. Rodriguez back there every game. Duvall, I think, has still got a lingering hamstring injury, which I th- would think that catching, I don't know if that's the best or worst thing for it. You're not having quick tricks, quick twitch sprints, but you might also be putting some strain on that through the crouching. I don't know how that goes. But point is, I think you you might want to get Duvall some rest in terms of moving around to let that thing heal. And with Malloy playing well at first, I wonder if there's going to be a domino effect where you could see Keegan at different spots or you could see some pieces moved around in different places depending on the lineup on a particular day just because he does have the ability to play multiple spots. And I do wonder, I'm trying to remember, did he play in the outfield last year? Keegan? Yeah, I don't think he did. I don't but think so. I don't know if they've worked him out there. Point is, I think that there might be some options beyond just plugging him in at first because of the dynamics here. Yeah, I mean, you know, Parker Nolan's looked fine. He's in two ninety two. You could put him. It could could be down go down to Malloy versus Nolan uh, if, if you want to put Keegan at first, and then you know, um, Spencer Jones started the first six games. He's, you know, you're not, you're not going to forget about him. So it's just as we thought. It's going to take some 
it's going to take some time to, to sort this thing out and get, and they might not get an everyday lineup. You know, last year was kind of a luxury where you, but you know, there, there's a lot of times when, you know, from game to game based on right or left or things would, things would switch up. They'd switch things up. And, uh, Matt Hogan's a guy we haven't seen. Uh, he's, you know, he's played pinch hit, I think, but he's played four games and I thought he supposedly had a good fall. So, you know, there's, there's another guy who might get an opportunity at some point. Let's go to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Mark Jen of Simply a Fan. Mark organizes road trips to sporting events across the country and is doing so for Vanderbilt Baseball Road Series this year. Go to simplyafan.com to get more information. Tell him you heard about it on the podcast. Okay, Dan B. Nash wants to know, biggest surprises on the pitching staff so far, positive and negative? Hmm. Good question. You know, we, we touched a lot about the pitching. Positive... Um, I mean, Jack Leiter, maybe, you know, we've seen a lot of, including Kumar Rocker, we've seen a lot of really talented guys take a while to find their footing to, to be so effective so early, I guess is, is very positive. Uh, Laboki, you know, has been almost unhittable with five inning, two, two appearances, five and two thirds, one hit, you know, we heard good things about him. So I guess those two, um, I guess the Tyler Brown has to be the answer for for the on the other side. You know, I, we 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 talked earlier, Chris. We th- we think he'll be fine. We're not overly concerned. But when you've lost two games with your All American closer with a one run lead in the ninth, it's hard not to single him out as the the one disappointment so far. Yeah, Brown unquestionably the unpleasant surprise. I think for me it's Thomas Schultz because I knew that Doolin and Laboki could be factors, and of course we knew that Leiter could be too. Now nobody expected those guys to be that great, but Schultz was a guy that I think came on late in the spring and was kind of further down the list of relievers after those guys. So to see him pitch as well as he has, I think was not something I expected. Cool. Oh, let's see. This is from Ann Arbor. Any plans for the athletic to cover the Vanderbilt athletic strategic vision says, if yes, I'll subscribe <laughs> on the spot. Well, um, I don't want to overpromise, but, Joe Rex Road, you know, he, he's he's monitoring that. He's actually um, earlier today met with Candace uh, Lee Story for for a story. Um, I wouldn't say we're we're on the beat, but we are monitoring it, um, no doubt. And Joe will will be a uh, you know Joe will be writing about it. Mister Vandy says, with all the pitching Vandy seems to have, you think it can make another run to the College World Series? Sure. I, you know, this team is very talented, even though that we've talked about the hitting, uh, you know, not being as good as last year, which is obviously going to be the case and maybe not as good. As some other really good Vanderbilt teams of this decade. When you have pitching like this team does, you can, you know, there's really uh, would I predict them to make the College World Series. I don't know. I haven't seen enough yet, but it, it's hard not to put them in the mix when they can pitch as well as they're going to pitch this year. Yeah, they've scored 47 runs and given up 19, and that says a lot about the kind of team they have. Yep. Um, you know a lot more about, about baseball than me, Chris, but when you score 47 runs and the other team scores 19, you're going to win a lot of games. That's usually the way Unless it goes. Unless you give up two runs in the ninth when you got a one-run lead. <laughs> right, and that's happened twice. Yes. But um, anyway, Mitch, any other questions or things to discuss before we end the podcast today? Um. No, let me, uh, if you let me uh, uh, promote something I'm going to be doing next week, and I think I might have mentioned this, and I, I mentioned it to you. If you, uh, I think it's going to be next Tuesday. So if we do this again next Monday, I'll talk about it. It might be Monday. I've written a, an oral history of Shane Foster's senior night game. 
that's going to be up on the athletic early next week. And some, it was a lot of fun to do. I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I think, I think I did a pretty good job. I've gotten some feedback from a lot of people. I've showed, shared it with a lot of people. I talked to Kevin Stallings, uh, uh, Brad Frederick, Tom Richardson, Shane Foster, uh, Alex Gordon, Ross Neltner, Rick Stansberry, Ben Hansborough, who's on Mississippi State, Joe Fisher, uh, Andy Boggs, Vanderbilt Media Relations, uh, Brandon Barca, who used to work at Vanderbilt, who was involved with the, the video team. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I talked to. That might be it. So it's long, but it's it was uh, it was fun to do. And it, like I said, it'll be out next Monday or Tuesday on The Athletic. And uh, I think Vanderbilt fans will really enjoy it. Oh, those kind of pieces are always fun to read. And I know with the research you've done, it'll be a terrific read. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, look for that next week. And uh, so, yeah, thank, always good to talk to you. Yeah, give your Twitter handle before you leave. Okay, it's at Mitch Light. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got more of these coming later this week.